when I was a, a first-year philosophy student uh, at the university, um, one of the first things that they taught us that the, the Greek philosophy asked certain questions about life. Uh, why are people here? Why is the world here? And actually, why is there anything at all? If you had to answer that question today, what would your answer be? Why are we here? Why is the world here? Why is there anything at all? When Christian theology began to move into the, the Greek world, it tried to answer this question but by saying that all creation, everything exists ad maiorem dei gloriam, to the glory, the greater glory of God. That's why we exist. At the heart of the Christian life is this one thing to praise God. In a lecture on praise and worship, one of my uh, good friends, professor of systematic theology in South Africa, Dirkie Smith, wrote, the whole Christian life is about praise to God the glorification of his name, the recognition of his holiness. There is nothing more important, and in a sense, there is nothing else. The Christian church and theology knew that right from the beginning. The answer to why are we here? Why is there an earth? Why are there mountains, trees, light, rain, sun? Why am I here? Ad maiorem gloriam Dei, to the greater glory of God. The church father Augustine wrote a very well-known book called Confessions. And in his book he says, God is so great, so wonderful. When we begin to think about God, we realize that we understand so little about God. It suits us, he says, to be silent. But God is so great and wonderful we cannot remain silent. But we cannot talk properly about God. Human language, he says, cannot speak about God. Therefore, the only language befitting to God is praise, worship, honoring and glorifying him. This is the heart of Christian life. That's why the reformers like Calvin and, and others used the words soli Dio gloria 
to God alone the honor. Creation, they said, is the theater of God's glory. And therefore, we are called upon by God to glorify God with creation, but different from creation because we can do it with our mouths and our, our bodies. This is what this passage says. You actually have to follow it as I refer to it now. First Chronicles 16 is a combination, as I said, of Psalm 105, 96 and 106. When David asked the ex experts to commemorate this special event of placing the ark, he used, they used these three psalms, Psalms 96, 105 and 106. And just listen to the tone of this passage. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all people. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And listen then. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound. And all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing and, and have joy before the Lord. Why do we exist? To the greater glory of God. Why does the, the nature exist? To the greater glory of God. There's a little book written by a Dutch um, Minister A.A. Van Ruler, and the, the title is Why Should I Go to Church? <coughs> he says, We are praising God not because the minister preaches well, even if the sermon was hopeless, even though the whole service was a hopeless experience because of human mistakes, as long as we song, sang a song of praise, it was worth it. Praise is not something that Christians should do. It is what Christian life is about. That's why we exist. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If that is the case, we should ask, why should we praise God? This passage addresses this very important question. You see, the situation in which the readers found themselves was also very important. It wasn't a good time for them. 
Their situation is compared with the patriarchs, the landless people that moved from one place to another. He says in verse 19 and 20, when they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. And the people who, who heard the story could identify themselves with it because they were in captivity in Babylon. They heard the story of the placing of the ark, the symbol of God's presence amongst them, but they had no place of worship, no temple. As I mentioned, three psalms are combined here. Psalm 105, 96, and 106. And every time, it skips the part of the psalm that is about the history of Israel. Their broken history. Their sin. It's a history of forgetting God. And every time in this passage, it's not mentioned. Why? Because he wanted to give them hope. This politically insignificant community of his day could identify themselves with the patriarchs who had nowhere to go, just wandering around. And they were protected. And they too could look forward to the fulfillment of the promises of God. But at the end of the passage in Chronicles that we've read, we, we hear a quote from Psalm 106. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And then these words, cry out, save us, God our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Right at the end, after they've asked, Lord, bring us from the nations. Save us from where we are. Their praise is not built on what they experienced. And this is the heart of this passage. They do not praise God because everything they hoped for has been fulfilled. They are still strangers, foreigners, far from their own land, far away from what is familiar. In the midst of their circumstances, they hear a massive confession quoted from Psalm 96. And we read it from verse, six, uh, from verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord 
reigns in the midst of their circumstances. They hear the words, the Lord is king. The Lord is in control. Hendrikus Berkhoff makes uh, a very interesting distinction which I've mentioned before in this church. He makes a distinction between religion and faith. He says a religious person praises the Lord because his or her circumstances allow it. It's based on their personal experience. Faith is to praise God in spite of circumstances. That's the difference between religion and faith. The one is built on our circumstances, the other one in spite of our circumstances. Habakkuk chapter 3, we all know, even if there's nothing, no cattle, no figs, no olives, yet I will praise the Lord. They confess the Lord is king in spite of our circumstances. They pleaded that the Lord would gather them from among the nations, but it's not happened yet. But because the Lord is king, they expect that it will be different. And they reminded each other of this so that they could praise the Lord's rule in spite of their circumstances. And you know, this is one of the basic elements of Christian faith. That we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is in control. We sing, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever plug me from his hand. When Paul thinks about God's grace in the lives of people in spite of the circumstances of their sin and suffering, in Romans chapter 8, he says he can make one big conclusion. Romans 8 verse 31 what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? There is anticipation. There is hope. And just after that, verse 34 of chapter 8, he then speaks about the reason why we have hope. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God. And he's also interceding for us. And twice in his letters, every time when he says, Jesus is at the right hand of God, 
He makes a list of powers. The powers that's hostile. The powers that make us feel that we don't belong here. Jesus is at the right hand of God. He's interceding for us. And then he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, death, life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth, anything else, he says. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ because he is Lord sitting at the right hand of the Father. He does exactly the same in Ephesians chapter 1. He says that the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ lives in us. And then he says this in Ephesians 1 verse 20 to 22. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Seated him at his right hand. He's in control. In the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Again, a list. And every name that is invoked. Not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet. And he appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Just after the Second World War, Karl Barth wrote in the midst of a ruined Europe, that is what we are to say of our time. That is the first and the last thing that matters for our existence in time. At its basis lies this existence of Jesus Christ. He's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Whatever prosperity or defeat may occur in our space, whatever may become and pass away, there is one constant, one thing that remains and continues, the sitting of his at the right hand of God the Father. There is no historical turning point which approaches this. Here we have the mystery of what we term world history, church history, history of civilization. Here we have the thing that underlies everything. Jesus is Lord. A.W. Tozer says, the unbelieving mind would not be convinced by any proof, but the worshipping heart needs none. So why can we praise God in spite of our circumstances? This song of praise is so important for us to understand. It helped people to go on. It gave them hope. It allowed them to expect God's presence with hope. 
Why? Because God was always faithful. He never let them down. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob were not only symbolic of landless people, strangers and foreigners, but also objects of God's faithfulness in the covenant. By quoting from Psalm 105 and 106, it reminds the people of God's constant faithfulness in spite of their sin. By leaving out all those grim details of their past, mostly caused by their own doing, rebellion, forgetfulness, and hard hearts. He reminded them, God is still faithful in your life. He says in verse 12, 13, and 15, remember the wonders he has done. His miracles and the judgments he pronounced. He remembers his covenant forever. This, he says in verse 17, is an everlasting covenant. Why can we praise God in spite of our circumstances? Because of God's faithfulness in the past. And because he was faithful, he will always be faithful. And we see this faithfulness the best in the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore we can praise God in spite of our circumstances. Because Jesus is Lord. Because Jesus came to this world. And he's in control. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And therefore praise is always a response to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By remembering God's faithfulness, by reminding each other about God's faithfulness, we help each other to bring praise in our lives. If this is not the content of our praise, the good news of Jesus Christ, if this is not the motivation for our praise any, in any service, then it might be good for us, but it's not true Christian praise. We find many other forms of praise in the world in the religions of many people. With all religious traditions up to animism, the most simple, primitive communities, we find people dancing and drumming and singing. We get variants of, of dance around a fire and beating of drums to raise God up and to satisfy the moon and the sun. It makes you feel better it work up joy and create a specific mood. And even in the Western world, in very sophisticated, intelligent people, we find other variants. 
that desire to have warm fellowship, to have fun when we sing, having a good church, where we are cheerful and happy, then you get the same kind of feeling on a Sunday morning that you had at the concert on Friday night or the disco on a Saturday night. Life is pleasant. But with Christian praise, it has very little to do. Christian praise is the response to the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if this is not what we're doing here on a Sunday, we can have great emotional feelings and moods and desires. But it's not Christian praise. If we are part of God's people, our default mode would be to come together to sing and to worship because of God's goodness, because of Jesus that is Lord. Because we have been redeemed. Because we've heard the good news of the gospel. Even though we are still foreigners and strangers in this world. How can we not respond to this good news? Circumstances can, can lead us to lose hope. But God's faithfulness. And his love will never change us and revive our faith. I think when we come to church on a Sunday or leave the church, we should ask ourselves two central questions. Did we come into this place with the right attitude? Namely, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the second, was our participation, our experience, a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's love in spite of us? This is what it's all about. Not the kind of music, not the kind of hymn, or kind of song, not our experience of joy, not our circumstances or our failures, but whether we have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ because we want to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is just a small practice to do that every Sunday. I want to close. This week during uh, a visit to one of our wonderful members, Ruth McGowan, uh, you know, it's always when, when you visit someone and uh, uh, the person encourages you, it's always nice you leave there uh, with a, a bit of energy and Ruth is one of those people who do that. And she told me a story that I, I thought would, would fit very well this morning. And I had beautiful pictures that I wanted to show you. 
she uh, said that one of her family members um, uh, showed her an, an old violin. And she said to the family member, uh, you know, there is something, I don't know it very well, uh, but something comes up from my childhood about a violin. And it's something like the touch of the master's hand. Maybe some of you would know this. So while I was sitting with her, I googled quickly and we, we found it. And she said that the family also found it. I'm going to read this to you this morning. It was battered and scarred. And the auctioneer thought it was it's scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin. But held it up with a smile. What I am bidden, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two, two dollars, and we'll make it three. Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room, far back, a grey-haired man came forward and picked up the bow, then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loose strings, he played a melody, pure and sweet as caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for the old violin? And held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars. Who will make it two? Two thousand. And who will make it three? Three thousand. Once, three thousand, twice. And going and gone. Said he. The people cheered. But some of them cried, we do not quite understand what changed its worth. Swift came the reply, the touch of a master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd much like the old violin, a mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He is going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul. And the change that's wrought by the touch of the master's hand. The touch of the master's hand. Has your life been changed by the touch of the master's hand? Your soul was so 
incredibly precious that he gave his life for you. And if he has touched you, your song of praise will never stop. Then we will come together and praise God with the right attitude to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness that even in the most difficult circumstances we can praise you even if the future looks bleak and even if we do not see the end of the tunnel thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you that as you have been faithful in the life of Israel, you are faithful to us. Lord, help us today to praise you in spite of our circumstances because you have touched us by your grace because you have given us a new beginning through your son Jesus Christ and open now our eyes Lord to see Jesus on the throne and help us to trust him also for the days and years to come Fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit that we will praise you for who you are. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.